This episode of the EV Resource Podcast is brought to you by Titan Auto and Tire. Titan is Central Virginia's premier group of service centers that specializes in working on EVs and hybrids. They make sure their technicians are qualified to work on these vehicles, and I wouldn't recommend anyone else for your maintenance and repair needs. For more information and to schedule an appointment for your vehicle, head to TitanAutoTire.com. That's TitanAutoTire.com. Coming up this week on the EV Resource Podcast, a special recording live from the Electric Vehicle Fall Festival this past Sunday, featuring Kate Staples of Dominion Energy and Lewis O'Berry of Rappahannock Electric Cooperative. We're talking about the electrical grid, time of use incentives, vehicle to grid, load management, and even electric school buses. Because this was recorded in a live setting, I have to warn you, the audio isn't the greatest. In fact, I had to take a lot longer editing this episode, trying to get all of the sound and levels right, and it's not perfect. In fact, for the best listening experience, you might want to try to minimize any background noise around you while you listen to this episode. That might help. But that being said, let's go ahead and dive in to a special episode live from the Electric Vehicle Fall Festival. I'm joined here at the Electric Vehicle Fall Festival with Kate Staples of Dominion Energy and Lewis O'Berry with Rappahannock Electric Cooperative. We're going to actually get into something that I think would be very interesting for a lot of people. We want to talk today about the grid and the role of the energy providers and how the oncoming onslaught of electric vehicles is going to affect things and what to expect and really um, more about your organizations and what you're doing to help prepare not only for the vehicles themselves, but also on the education front to make sure potential EV owners are prepared properly. So before we jump into that, I want to give you guys an opportunity to introduce yourselves and the organization, and then uh, we'll dive right in. Lewis, you've got the mic, so go ahead and start first. All right. Good, good morning. Good afternoon, everybody, I should say. It's actually 12 noon, so we can officially say afternoon, but uh, very nice to meet everyone. Uh, Glad to be here on the podcast today. My name is Lewis O'Berry. I'm the Energy Services and Solutions Administrator at Rappahannock Electric Cooperative. Uh, we have a department of a few, uh, but we are uh, all things energy solutions and clean energy. So in that onslaught is certainly electric transportation and the initiatives around those. And, and look forward to answering some of your questions and, and uh, fielding some questions from the group if they have any. Cool. And I'm Kate Staples. I'm the there you go. <laughs> director of electrification at Dominion Energy. I'm part of our customer solutions organization where we offer solutions for customers as well. So thank you for having us. Absolutely. So I want to start off the bat with trying to address one of the bigger concerns that I'm sure a lot of us have felt or, or heard, you know, talking to people on social media maybe uh, or out and about that the grid can't handle all of the cars being electric vehicles. I want to give each of you kind of an opportunity to to respond to that without any prompting. Sure, I can start. Um, Electric utilities and electric cooperatives, we exist to provide affordable, reliable electricity to our customers. We do that for their homes and their businesses, and growing in popularity is their transportation. Um, So we are all investing in technologies and infrastructure to make sure that the grid is more reliable than ever and is responsive to our our growing customer needs in distributed energy resources, including electric vehicles. 
I would almost echo Kate's response, but I'll, I'll change it up just a little bit. But uh, obviously, you know, we're, you know, as an energy cooperative, we're here to do the exact same thing for our membership, but we're also there to be their energy expert. So within that platform, not only the education piece when it aligns in, in looking at electric transportation, but when it comes to, to system hardening, and, that, and that's really a, a main focus, it has been a main focus for all of the utilities, especially in Virginia, uh, in, in, you know, including whether it's a, whether it's an investor-owned utility, whether it's an energy cooperative, we're all here to do the same thing, and that's and that's serve our serve our customer base, or our ratepayer base, which is which is in, in some cases membership and customers. So it's a uh, you know we have a lot of systems in place. We've been doing a lot of studies. We're using a, a lot of new data and methodology behind that data to find propensities uh, amongst our territory where electric transportation is becoming a hot, where the propensity is there, where there's already a concentration of, of, of EVs in a, in, a, in a particular area. Uh, we're actually using that data to identify where initially we need to do some system hardening. Because I mean, you know, it, it, it certainly, no, if you have a 15 kW transformer in a neighborhood and, and one neighbor gets an EV and that neighbor talks to that neighbor, the next one's going to get one. And if you get three or four EVs on a 15 kW transformer, you typically can easily have a problem, right? But uh, you know, we're you know, in, in light of that, even in new neighborhoods, our, our planning has also shifted to, to system hardening. Where we're actually overbuilding in areas and providing resources to, to accommodate that added load. And when you look at electric vehicle transportation, the load doesn't always align with our daily activities or, or heating or cooling. And that's one thing that you have to look at with electric transportation. So not everybody's charging at the same time. Those peaks are actually different, right? So we need to find that sweet spot of how how do we how do we, you know, power electric vehicles? How do we transfer that energy back to the grid when it needs to be when it needs to be, you know, vehicle to grid scenario? Uh, there, there's a lot of peak shaving and, and curtailment that can actually assist with the additional EVs that come onto the grid. So I mean, there's no silver bullet answer, but there's certainly, and I'm not a professional in, in our cooperative within the operations and construction division, but I can certainly tell you that uh, that you know what we're doing now is going to you know, align our, our grid and our system to be able to handle whatever load comes there, and whether that's electric vehicles, whether that's, uh, you know, a commercial and industrial build out. So th there's a lot of opportunity there. Lewis, you made a couple of great points that the peak load is different when for EVs than you have typically seen for the last hundred years. So people are not charging at the same time that they're doing the other things. What kind of programs or possibly incentives or, or time of use tariffs or things, what, what are you guys talking about internally to be able to introduce to encourage EV owners to potentially charge at the most off-peak time? Sure. I, I knew I was going to tee up a conversation around TOU or, or special <laughs> rates. So actually at REC, we just implemented a new uh, electric vehicle pilot program. It's not a specific rate. It's an incentive-based program where it's a flat $7 credit per month. And, and essentially, it's a holistic program. We wanna get our feet wet with it. We wanna engage with our membership. Uh, it's in its pilot phase right now. We've actually peaked out in capacity for year one. We've already hit 200 participants, which is very, with, with minimal to no marketing. So that just tells you right there that the propensity and the, and the interest is there, right? So we've got 200 participants now, and uh, and that's open for plug-in hybrids and all electric vehicles, only one vehicle per household. So. Uh, and essentially, you're just taking a picture, improving when you're charging, and that's what we're doing. We're encouraging that those quote-unquote off-peak hours that, that pretty much align with, with most time-of-use rates. Uh, and, and, and essentially, you know, 
what you have with that, your duck curve, if you will, is just, it's a different shape. You're just trying to reshape that and flatten out that duck curve. Mm -hmm. And Kate, Dominion has a couple of programs that you've introduced with plans for more coming as well, correct? Yes, absolutely. So we have some off-peak rates for customers. We also have a program where you get a rebate or an incentive for charging during off-peak time, similar to what Lewis was discussing. And when you think about that, um, when you get home um, in the afternoon or in the evening from, from work or from school and you want to make dinner and you want to turn on your TV and turn on your lights, you want those things to happen right then. Um, you don't want to wait for your oven to be ready at 2 o'clock in the morning. But when you want to charge your vehicle, you just want it to be ready when you leave at 6 or 7 in the morning the next day. So you could plug it in and it could charge at 1 a.m. And it doesn't really matter to you because you're sound asleep and your vehicle's doing the work in the driveway. Um, so having these types of incentive programs are really great for customers because they don't have to change their behavior, um, but they're also helping um, you know, make sure that the, uh, the grid isn't strained by the extra electric vehicle charging. So they're great solutions for customers. So a lot of people have said that EVs are actually bad for the grid, but so piggyback on something you said, Lewis, vehicle to grid capability, I'm of the mindset, and granted I'm very biased as many EV owners typically are, that EVs are actually in a great position to help the grid and potentially, and maybe correct me if I'm, I've got this wrong, that uh, for some of the peaker plants that have to come online to provide that little extra during peak times, that if we have more electric vehicles that are plugged in that maybe we can use their battery capacity, we don't even need to worry about peaker plants and all of that. Is that true? You know, it, it could be safe to say that peaker plants would still need to be, you know, be implemented at some point in time, but I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And I, and I think it more aligns with, with fleet management. I think that's where utilities really need to engage with, with our commercial fleets. That are, that are looking to electrify or that have electrified uh, to be able to utilize that energy because there's periods of time those are large batteries and, and large really and truly they, they become assets right mm -hmm. they become assets to the grid so when they're not in operation to be able to discharge those larger batteries with commercial fleets i think is a, is a, is a big win-win um you know on, on the residential side you know absolutely it's just it, i think it's more concentrated when you look at, at fleets and i think that's where the vehicle to grid opportunity uh is 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 you know, is very apparent. I think there's other opportunities there, but that when I think of vehicle to grid, um, I think in the residential setting, I look at it more from a resiliency for the actual member, you know, in sustainability for them, especially in an out of situation or something like that. But when we're looking at uh, vehicle to grid uh, and, and really figuring out how, you know, how do we, you know, how do we not create a new curve, right? How do we not create a new peak? Because inherently that could easily be done, right? We always chase particular pieces to how they control what we pay for electricity and how we pass that to our membership. But, you know, really and truly, the opportunity with, with fleet management is what comes to my mind. Sure. Do you have something to add? Yeah, another way that um, electric transportation can help benefit the grid is actually increasing the overall utilization of the grid. So um, electric companies and electric cooperatives, we build our system for your hottest day with your biggest peak demand from your businesses and your homes, which only happens a couple times a year. So you have that infrastructure in place 
um, and those assets are there. And so if you're able to get folks to charge their electric vehicles at times other than those really peak times, then you're increasing the utilization of the grid and that's better for all customers. That's awesome to hear. So we've all probably heard of some of the issues with grids in California or Texas, and obviously they're based on typically an outside influence. I'm curious if there's been any conversation within Dominion and Rappahannock Electric Cooperative that addresses maybe some of the concerns that have popped out from those other areas' experiences. Should we have anything to worry about here, I guess, is where I'm getting with, uh, with that. Sure, so fortunately in Virginia, we're part of a larger regional transmission operation system. Yes. Um, so we have the benefit of having that, um, that robust, redundant, resilient transmission system. Um, so I think that helps us um, avoid some of the issues that you've seen in California and Texas. We also have regulated rates in, in Virginia, which means um, you know, folks like Rappahannock and Dominion, you know, our job, we are trying to be prudent for our, our owners, our owner members, and our rate payers. So I think that helps our customers as well, making electric transportation even more affordable. Very much agree, Kate, and I, I was going to speak to that as well. I mean, our system is just set up a little different than, than other states. Um, you, know, how, you know, dispatching energy on the grid is done, on a, is done very meticulously. Being regulated, uh, the regulated standpoint really changes things too quite a bit when it comes to, um, you know, the grid, you know, having too much congestion. There, there are measures in place to avoid congestion, especially on the transmission and generation side of the system, which is where the energy is coming from once it makes it to the substation. You know that's where we that's where we do our thing. Obviously, we're you know we're a distribution cooperative only, uh, not generation transmission. But uh, you know, the, the RTO perspective um, and 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 the energy dispatch I think sets us up for a little bit less likely for something like that to happen. Obviously, there's no you can't say yes or no because that's just not really something that you know you can speak to to that level. But I, I really do you know undeniably our, our, our grid is, is 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 very sound the way that it's operated. Amazing. How reassuring to hear that uh, from an owner perspective, because of course the only thing that we want is to make sure that when we flip the switch, the lights turn on. That's it. Our, our needs and desires are very basic. Um, before we actually take a couple questions, if you guys have some questions you want to ask, um, if the, for either of you, if there's anything else that you wanted to add before we did that. One other thing I want to mention about Virginia's grid is um, it's getting cleaner every day. Um, so electricity, the fuel for electric cars, is going to get cleaner every day as well. Um, and so that's another benefit that you have in Virginia compared to some other states. I would like to just take a couple seconds to talk a little bit about our new brand. I know many of you have been walking up and down the aisle and have seen something different underneath or and written on our tents lately, which is vividly brighter. Um, I know this is stepping away from the grid aspect just a little bit, but I would love to put a plug here if I could. Uh, we just finished launching our overarching Vividly Brighter by Rappahannock Electric Cooperative, and, and this is a branded uh, suite of services that are all member-facing. Uh, they, they, they include a, a bunch of programs that we have already been operating and maintaining under a different under the Home Resources brand and under you know, just REC for many years, and now we have realized that uh, our, our members turned to us to be their energy expert, and we want to provide a, a comprehensive suite of services. Uh, that are self-sustaining and, and good for all, and, and that's what Vividly Brighter is. Uh, under, under that platform, 
Uh, we have a couple different sub-brands. Obviously today, uh, daily rider charging is, is, as you can imagine, all things electric transportation, uh, vehicle charging, and services around uh, education and helping our members uh, uh, successfully implement electric transportation into, the, into their homes and businesses, as well as Vividly Brighter Solar, which is a cooperative SunShare branded uh, program uh, where members can purchase blocks of solar energy that are on the grid from two locations, excuse me, one being in, uh, in Frederick County and the other out of Cherrydale um, on the Eastern Shore. Uh, we've got about eight megawatts of solar generation uh, that's out of our family of cooperatives. Obviously, we're, we're a distribution-only cooperative and we purchase our energy primarily from Old Dominion Electric Cooperative, and of that uh, of that generation, we get we have about eight megawatts of solar um, on that. And we also have uh, eventually, potentially, some some concierge solar services one day, uh, and other things surrounding education and, and our current net metering program. Uh, and then we have vividly brighter upgrades, uh, which is all things if you're thinking upgrades of things that you would like to do to upgrade your home. Uh, I'm I'm very proud to announce that we have uh, launched a. Vividly Brighter Upgrades Affordable Energy Efficiency Program. That is a, uh, a prime way for the cooperative to invest in your home and, and, and make that investment up front on the upgrades and you, and you get a chance to pay that back uh, over, over time um, through the bill. And those upgrades are actually tied to the metered location. It is not a loan, it is not personal debt. So it's a very unique program to Virginia and uh, we are proud to announce that we are the first cooperative in the state to adopt a program uh, of that type of structure. So we're really uh, happy about that and, and also uh, some of our other services uh, like Surge Assist and our Water Heater Replacement Program uh, and an onslaught of other services will align themselves in that Vividly Writer Upgrade subbrand. So we're super excited about it. Come talk to us at the tent today. Love to answer some questions. Love to get you signed up for a program. Um, yeah, great stuff. Really excited. That's really great. I mean, I, I, I plan on asking you more questions when we're not doing this. I'll come over to the tent and probably take up all your time. Um, so before we end the podcast episode for today, anybody that's here, do you have a question? You come on up to the stage because I can give you the microphone and uh, have a question for these two. So uh, I'm a Dominion customer and I'm a parent and I was recently at my child's uh, school bus stop and was explaining electric buses. All parents, super excited. It seems like the no-brainer, like if we're going to electrify something, it should be school buses. So I'd like to hear from the providers, like what are you doing, what do you plan to do to help bring down costs and supplement what school districts have to pay for these school buses? Sure. So um, at Dominion, we love school buses. Um, a few years ago, we launched um, the first electric school bus program, and at that point, there wasn't any... Um, you know, real government, federal government or state government subsidies. Um, so we actually partnered with school districts and paid the full delta between a diesel bus and an electric bus. Um, and the intention there was to make sure that schools could experience the benefits of these school buses. And what we're hearing is exactly what you said. The schools love it. The parents love it. The drivers love it. The students love it. Um, so in partnership with um, our school districts, we're expanding the program. Um, to be able to offer more electric school buses in Virginia. And um, Lewis talked a little bit about the vehicle to grid benefits, the battery benefits on the buses. Um, but some other benefits are certainly zero emissions, so reduced carbon emissions. But think about it, your kids are at tailpipe height, so you know no air quality issues when you're at tailpipe height or on the bus. Um, the buses are quieter, so um, from a safety perspective, um, you, know, you can hear the bus driver talking, you can hear the children. 
Um, the drivers love driving them. Um, and the school districts are saving thousands in, in fuel and operations costs that they get to keep and use for other operations. That's a great question. Just to kind of piggyback on that, I've got three kids in school, and I remember reading an article at one point that kids are actually exposed to more diesel exhaust while riding the bus than when standing outside of it. So I'm thrilled that there's a program here in Virginia that my kids at some point won't be poisoned on their way to, to and from school anymore. Absolutely, and when you think about, um, you know, we serve um, all of the communities in our service territory and all of the customers in our service territory. So if you um, think about if you can't get an electric car, maybe you don't have a car, maybe you don't want a car, um, maybe you don't even have school children who ride the bus, but those buses are operating in your community, so you're getting the benefits of electrification. So we, we really think that it's a great equitable solution too. Kind of on the same question, I know with my experience with school buses that they certainly require a lot of maintenance and break down a lot. Have you seen any improvements with the buses that are electric on that Yes, they require much less maintenance um, in the uptime on the buses, so them being on the road. Um, it's been wonderful. We've actually had um, over 500,000 emissions-free electric bus miles driven in Virginia. And the similar question we'll ask you from school buses is public transportation. Are either of you are you able to see us to electrify public transportation? Yes. Um, so the public transportation agencies, um, for them to get the millions of dollars that's coming out of Washington, they have to do really comprehensive um, transportation plans. So we're partnering with the transit agencies in our service territory to help them get those plans done. Um, you may know, um, since you asked about buses, um, if you order an electric transit bus today, you might not get it for a year, kind of like an electric vehicle, right? Um, so if you do need grid upgrades, we can be doing those while you're waiting for your bus. Um, and so we can help you with that system planning so that your buses are ready to charge and ready to go when they're delivered. And, and another note from that from that perspective, you know, we're all coming, you know, on the backside of the pandemic, and you know, we all know how hard it is to get an electric vehicle, right? You place an order, whether it's, even if it's a, a standard gas vehicle for that matter, getting a vehicle it, it is a little bit of a feat, right? Well, the same thing applies for for grid. I mean, that's why we're planning so far out in front and ahead because it's taking a lot longer to get transformers. It's taking a lot longer to get uh, you know CC rated cabinets and, and other apparatus. So. As we build out the grid and as we as we conduct our system hardening, um, you know the supply chain constraints and issues and, and, and you know things around that are also uh, a factor. Awesome, awesome. Well, before we end this, uh, how can people follow along with the programs that you guys are offering? What's the best way for them to connect with you after the event, after they've left? Well, you can certainly get my card. I'm a little bit of an old-fashioned. I, I like to, I like to talk to you. I like to call you. Uh, so if you, if you like to engage that way, we can do that. Uh, you can send my, send me an email, or and I can uh, get you in touch with anybody on our team uh, to ask you know specific pointed questions around any of our programs. You can find us on the web at www.myrec.coop, and you can search within our website, look at the entire Vividly Brighter Suite, and, and we have an onslaught of tools uh, right now through, through Choose EV that we've implemented where you can compare vehicles, you can compare your current vehicle to a vehicle that you may be purchasing, you can uh, use it to find dealers, find charging stations, we have a lot of uh, really forward-facing tools 
to help empower our membership and to, to drive those questions while they're searching for their new uh, electric vehicle. Um, the easiest way to contact my team is to go to dominionenergy.com slash EV, like electric vehicle, and if you click um, contact an EV expert, that'll, that email will go directly to my team. Um, you can also contact our, our call center anytime at one eight six six don help and if you're here today, if you want to stop by our table, we have some car coasters that have a QR code for our website, and you can stop by and grab one of those as well. Awesome. Well, I want to thank both of you for taking the time to answer some questions and, and really help all of us understand a little bit more about the grid and, and that side of things. Because when we're talking EVs, we're, we typically focus on the electricity consumption, not necessarily what has to happen before it even gets to the plug on our car. So I want to thank you both because that was very valuable information. And I hope you all got some, some information that you were looking for as well. Um, remember, their booths are right outside over here. So make sure you check out what they've got going on and any other questions that you might have, they're here to help. Okay, so that's all for this week. I want to thank you all for listening, even though it might have been a little harder to understand what was being said this time around. I didn't want to scrap the whole thing because I really feel like it was a lot of valuable insight into the energy providers and the way they think about their roles. I want to thank our Patreon family for their support. If you don't know about Patreon, it's a platform that allows people to support their favorite creators of podcasts, art, photos, videos, etc. with a monthly financial contribution. Many creators in return will give special benefits to their patrons, and in my case, those benefits include having your name on the podcast show notes, having your name read aloud on the podcast, access to the monthly Zoom hangout chat, and ad-free episodes of this podcast. I want to especially thank our patrons at the executive producer tier, Rajiv Narayan and Chris Lawrence. If you feel like I've earned your support, and I do hope that I am providing enough value for you, you can head over to patreon.com slash evresource and join our small but growing family. I invite your feedback via email at hello at evresource.com. I have fallen a bit behind checking the emails due to all the work I was putting into the event. So now that that is over, I should be able to dive back in and catch up. And the same thing goes for the EV Resource Magazine. I'm hoping to finish that up this coming week. A normal podcast episode will be coming next time where I catch up on all the latest EV news and information. A lot has been going on and I don't want you to miss out. But that is all for now. So thank you so much and I'll catch you next time.